Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Michael Morrow, Ron Hayes, and Jason Lopez. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. It's been a long time since we've had just the three of us on and had the opportunity to catch up. But that being said, it's been a long time since the three of us have been able to get out and actually do some shooting with all the restrictions on travel and being together and social distancing, that kind of thing. So I have to say, me for one, I feel a little bit recharged first and foremost. How about you guys? Yeah, absolutely. I do. I've I've been able to get out the last couple of weekends and yeah, I feel way better. <laughs> you know, I've been getting out, but I've been trying to go to Alaska and it's super tough to go up there. I've changed my ticket up there like five times. Are they yeah, still they doing still the 14 day quarantine, right? Yeah. yeah, they still have the 14 day quarantine. So supposedly the governor talked about it, but I don't think they've implemented it yet, which means if he does implement it, what you can do is 72 hours prior to departing for Alaska, you have to go get a COVID test. If that COVID test shows up negative, you have to get paperwork that shows that you show up at the airport, you show them that you don't have to quarantine, hmm. but I, that's not official yet. So hopefully on the fifth, they're going to make some sort of announcement, but the city of Anchorage has kept its quarantine. I think no matter what the state does as a whole, the Anchorage is still going to have it. So I don't even know if it's worth going. So I might just keep pushing it until, I don't know, July. I don't know. Anchorage, <laughs> I think, has it in place till July 31st. Wow. And Anchorage is pretty much the hub for up there, right? I mean, if you're going to go just about anywhere, you've got to fly through Anchorage. Well, yeah, there's a lot of flights direct into Fairbanks, but and okay. I haven't heard anything on Fairbanks, but... You know, yeah, for me, I would have to go right to Anchorage. So who knows, man? I just, it's just crazy. But I've been getting around here and I've got some stuff. I was able to shoot some stuff around here that I haven't shot for years, which is kind of cool, right? So there is the silver lining. Yeah, I agree. So what have you been out shooting? Well, I met Jason down in Southwest Colorado and we did some lizards. So that was cool. And then, of course, he rolls in and sees every kind of possible lizard on the planet and I'm down there. Of course. And we're going to talk about that more. <laughs> uh, so we got that done. And then uh, I left there and I stayed with a buddy down in Durango. I was helping him on some garage remodel stuff. And I happened to be sitting on his porch one day and I found a hummingbird nest. So I did some stuff with that. And then here recently, I've been working on a red tail hawk nest. But everything I've been shooting is video. Well, I guess I shot some stills of the lizards. But most everything's been video for me. What about you guys? I was ahead, a little bit envious because the plan was to meet you guys down in southern Colorado. But my job still has travel restrictions because we can't afford to have anybody bring anything back. Um, so there's still travel restrictions in place. And one of those restricted areas was Colorado. So that was a no-go this year. So I'll have to wait another year. Uh, but I did make it over to western wyoming and had some great shoots with some bears i did have some awesome video or opportunities to practice the video uh, with some waterfowl shorebirds and some warblers and just a little bit of everything it was kind of fun I, we had a, a great blue heron that was hunting and by ourselves and by our my buddy jeremy thies give him a shout out because he rescued my weekend on the way over there. I got to kind of in between two towns and I'd been having a little bit of chugging go on with my vehicle. So of course, you know, if we can't have a podcast without something going on wrong with Ron's vehicle <laughs> and I lost my alternator, a belt and the battery. Fortunately, I was able to limp it back to uh, Riverton, Wyoming. And then, um, got it replaced but i had to leave it over the weekend and my buddy i knew was coming behind me so i called him he saved the saved the day picked me up so i rode with him and his two dogs 
and uh, Paco the Chihuahua sat on my lap the whole time. <laughs> we had a, that, a really good shoot. Is that really his name? Paco? Yeah. yeah it I is. love it. <laughs> I'll, I'll put a picture in the show notes because mm-hmm. Paco made himself at home. <laughs> but I actually saw Jason over there, too. So this goes back to Jason Loftus, the road warrior. He shot all day in the area where I was at and then turned around and drove what? The whole thing had to have been 11, 14 hours, something like that, to get down to where the lizards were. Yeah. Yeah, it was about, well, it was about 10 total. But that's okay. I got some sleep in between. <laughs> yeah. Like three hours. <laughs> uh, no, that was that was a good weekend, and I did I did one of my road warrior trips, which I've talked about before. But I just I just try to be as effective as I can with my time, and and uh, that's one way of doing it. So yeah, I, I did see Ron there, and we had a great day shooting bears and stuff. Um, then I did turn and burn and went home and slept for about five hours and got up the next morning and me and my beautiful wife and very understanding and patient wife, <laughs> I'll add, um, took off and went to Southern Colorado and I met up with Mike, like you mentioned, and he showed me the ropes with the lizards and I had a real good time doing that. I had way more fun than I thought I would actually. And back to Mike's point, he mentioned earlier, the silver lining with, you know, the stuff that's going on. It's been kind of nice to focus on some local stuff. And to spend more time, in, you know, like for me, for example, the Bear River Bird Refuge and out at the Wild Horses, like we've talked, and to focus on some different things that I've never done before. You know, when things loosened up a bit, I was able to make that trip down with Mike and to go out there and still very quarantined, to be quite honest, or, or social distance anyways, and got to do some real fun stuff and play a species that I've never photographed. And it was fun and a challenge, you know. Um composing lizard shots is something that I figured out real quickly was not a simple thing to do, you know? So you got some awesome ones though. That was fun, man. I had a good time. Well, thanks to Mike. Mike really showed me the ropes on that. Yeah, it was fun. We had a good time. And then uh, the top off the trip, I was hoping to see Mesa Verde and they were closed at the time when I booked everything. And fortunately on that Sunday, they opened up. So I was able to make a run over there to, to Mesa Verde and pretty much had the place to myself. Um, I think I saw three or four other vehicles there. And then while we were in Mesa Verde, I didn't get photos really, but I did see, you know, wild horses or feral horses. I got to be careful. Those ones I'm sure are feral horses and some mule deer, a a bachelor group of bucks. And every one of them had bases the size of Coke cans. So I kind of got me like, Ooh, I might want to go back and check on these guys. (laughs) And then saw a a small black bear in, in Mesa Verde. And just the ruins were just incredible. I was really, I'll be back for sure. I mean, that's a place I've always wanted to go. And it was completely different than I expected. But I really want to go and do those tours and, you know, hear more about the history and, you know, how they did things and why they did things the way they did. And they basically had central air, right? Kind of a, (laughs) they had, they had some pretty neat um, innovations that they used and how they got their water down and how they got in and out of the ruins. Um, All that was really, seems really incredible to me. So. So yeah, that was that that was the first weekend. And this last weekend I took a four dayer and went and spent some time in Wyoming chasing more bears and um ended up having some pretty neat encounters. So it was good. Really good. Refreshing. Well, let's talk about those lizards, because uh I think it is really difficult to photograph them. I mean, they got such long tails, and if you're gonna try to get the whole animal in and still be rather close or have a cool dynamic shot, I, I think that was the hardest part. I don't know. What was at the top of your mind that made it hard? Yeah, I think you just nailed it. Those tails, man, especially when they're all strung out, um, at least for me, and I think some people don't care, but for me, you know, having like a, it's great for a 16 by nine crop, by the way, another shout out for the 16 by nine, (laughs) 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 but, um, it's great for that. But then even then you don't want to fill the whole frame with just, you know, the lizard's nose at one end and the tail at the other end of the frame that just doesn't look right to me. So, you know, you kind of want to have that tail and the lizard maybe center frame and some space on this side. Right. So, now, all of a sudden, it's hard to really get the detail of the lizard. So, you know, it was, it was kind of fun to play some things and try to get some, you know, get the lizard in a position where you could maybe cut his tail off naturally or, you know, only get half of his body or get him facing you or um, do some of those, you know, wider angle shots to get the colors of the rocks and some of those things, more landscape type shots as well, but to also get some up close stuff. And like Mike said, I mean, and I got educated when I posted about this, but and I'm and I appreciate it. But 
the ones that I posted were the collared lizards and the spiny lizards. But, and I actually saw a whiptail, I confirmed, and I saw a leopard lizard, which I'm pretty stinking positive. I went and looked at pictures online. And the leopard lizard is, is they're not, I, I don't know, Mike, are they endangered or are they just rare? I think they're threatened. Okay. There wasn't a lot of them. We only, I only saw one, but I saw him three different times. He was bound and determined to be hunting at this one part of the road. But every time I pulled up, he took off and made a disappearing act. I never got any photos of him. Um, and the only photos I could find online were pretty, you know, shaded in brush, you know, not, not anything like that. I could see it was like, I didn't see any really like impressive photos of the leopard lizards, but, um, but the, the spiny lizard was another one that was really cool. I mean, what an incredible lizard. It's just, it's got a lot of detail in their, um, scales and they're very defined and they almost look like kind of like a, like a dragon almost. And, they got some really neat coloration on them, like a reddish tint to them with some blue on their neck and area and stuff. And um, they look a little more, I don't know what the right word is, like menacing maybe. And they're beefier looking than the collared lizards. But the collared lizards just have amazing colors. And that was another thing that was kind of fun. They like to be, what I'm learning, what I learned while I was down there, is they, they do this. They get colored during their mating season. And the males get on these rocks and they kind of, they you know, they show off for the females. So apparently the females come looking for them and they like they generally have an area they like to be in. And then they sit out there and they show off their colors for the females. And those rocks that they're on have a lot of the same kind of colors in them, except for that teal. But it can be pretty amazing photos with all the colors and everything you can get. Um, the hard part was another hard part, Mike, was that it seemed like they didn't really want to be out until the sun was good for them, which wasn't so good for us. You know what I mean? So. They wanted to come out about 10 o'clock till about two or three. And then, you know, before that, it was tough to find them. And then the other thing I learned was that some of them were just like any critter you find. Some of them were very tolerant and could care less about you and would, you know, had a hard time getting them to move to pose differently. While other ones, if you stopped your car, they were, you know, they're 30 yards away on a rock. You stopped your car, they were gone. So it was it was really interesting to see the dynamics there as well. Okay. So. Sorry. I got to <laughs> stop you right there. Yeah. And ask a couple questions. So first of all, you guys were looking for primarily these collared lizards. Yep. Secondly, whenever I've had any luck with lizards, I've had to go out and walk the trails. You guys are driving roads. <laughs> so hey, no, these we, things are we pretty miles and miles. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> yeah. I haven't heard any of that in your description <laughs> thus far. Yeah. So these things are pretty good sized, obviously, if you're seeing them while you're driving. Yeah. I think Mike, I the, Mike's theory on this, and I tend to agree based on what we what we went and did was, you know, you just cover you can cover a lot more ground, and if you're really looking, you know, once you know what to look for, which I also learned, then it's a lot easier to spot them, you know, just like most things. But fortunately, a lot of the ones that we were finding were were pretty close to the road, and I think those ones that were closer to the road tended to be a little more tolerant. I went out and went to walk down to a couple of them that were in some really neat situations, but. I got about halfway there and they, they weren't having it. They, they were gone. Um, and I even went back to the car and waited like a half hour on one of them thinking they would come back out and he, he never came back out. So yeah, I think just covering a lot of ground and it was all just BLM land out there in Southern Colorado and just roaming around looking for, you know, that, that crazy cool teal lizard sitting there staring at you. <laughs> How big are they? Uh, the ones we were photographing were, I think, you know, anywhere from, I saw a little one, so I'd say anywhere from like 10 to 14 inches. Um, I think they can get bigger, right? Isn't that right, Mike? Yeah, I've probably seen 16, 18 inches. Uh, not 18. 16 inches would be a great big male. Tip of the yeah. nose to tip of the tail. Yeah, yeah. And the males have the teal, and the females, from what I've gathered from conversations from you guys, were more yellow in their head. Yeah, and they tend to have some right? red splotches on, like like near their armpits or the front part of their front legs, and then even on their back legs, they'll have these little red blotches. And it's hard to know. I mean, I haven't done enough research on them to know exactly that. Hey, I, like I couldn't tell you 100%. Hey, that's a female and that's a male. Generally with the males, you can tell just because they're, they're a little bit beefier and they're super colorful. And then some of them, that collar really shows up, which is what they're named for. And some of them, it's not as defined. So there's no two alike for sure as far yeah. as color goes. And then uh, the roads are all little two-track roads. So it's not like it's a commonly traveled road in fact right. i was telling jason when i used to shoot them years ago i would not see anybody all day now that 
place is getting a little bit more popular or, you know, everywhere, everywhere we go is more popular, right? So more people are down there. They're not necessarily doing what we're doing. They're down there riding bikes or riding ATVs or who knows, rock climbers. We saw some rock climbers down there. So they're doing a lot of stuff down there. So you're not competing for lizards. And in fact, people would probably think we're crazy if they knew we were actually just looking for lizards. But it's just like, well, a lot of times I'm driving in four wheel drive, low range, just so you can just barely crawl along. And then you do, you look out on these rocks 15, 30 yards out and you'll just see it's just that shape, you know, so with the, some of the other lizards, the collared lizards, it's all about the color. You just see that color and then you know, oh, that's a collared lizard. But with the, like the desert spiny or the whiptails or any of those other lizards, they're not nearly as colorful. So you've got to kind of look for a shape that, you know, do you see these sandstone rocks or other types of rocks and you just see this little pointy thing and you're like, ah, I bet you that's a lizard. And you just whip up your binoculars and there you go. That leopard lizard yeah. is really cool. And and what you said, Jason, is spot on. I mean, I have never seen really good pictures. The only good pictures I ever got of one was he was eating another lizard. So there was another oh. lizard half eaten, half in him and half out of him. And I shot a few shots and then I just left because I just didn't want to disturb that whole thing. And, you know, they're thermal regulating too. So you don't want to put a lot of stress right in the middle of when they're eating and then they're sitting out in the sun and... So I just got a few shots and then left, but they're super cool. And they're even, they're bigger than the collar yeah. lizard. So, and they call them leopard lizard because they have those spots on them. So they, they're just a super cool looking lizard. And one of these days we'll get some cool shots of it. And it's super cool for you to find one, Jason, because Jason found that when he was off doing something else in another spot, we weren't together the whole time. So I didn't even mm, get a yeah. chance to see that. Yeah. I was pretty pumped when I came across it and I was like, that's gotta be, and it was quite a bit bigger than the, than the collared lizards, body size, tail looked a little beefier. Um, definitely could tell it was, uh, you know, and with those spots, it was hard to dis, you know, it was hard to deny that it was a leopard lizard. Um, but I'll tell you a quick, funny story. You mentioned, you know, people probably think you're crazy out there looking for lizards. <laughs> when, when I got to the spot where uh, Mike had told me to turn off the main road, I was coming through the gate and um, Mel went out and opened the gate for me and I pulled through and there was some cars coming out, some trucks coming out. You know, I, what, what else would people be doing out there? So I reached out the window and said, hey, you guys see any lizards? And uh, they all looked at me like, uh, no, <laughs> haven't seen any lizards. We saw some Indian ruins, though, you know, and I was like, oh, yeah. What, you know, it was just hilarious. It came out of my mouth before I even could think about it and say, stop. <laughs> but the look they gave me was hilarious. I mean, they just looked at me like, lizards? Who's out here looking for lizards, you know? <laughs> well, some of the people but, that I was shooting with after I had seen you, mm -hmm. they're like, well, what happened to Jason? Where'd he go? And I said, oh, he and Mike are down photographing lizards. And they're like, and at this time, we're right in the middle of this kind of mini squall, you know, <laughs> yeah. Photographing bears. They're like, what in the world would you leave this for to go photograph lizards? I, was like, I just said, they're pretty neat. And they had this trip planned to meet up down there and just a little vacation, get away from people. Yeah. Well, you know, I had such a good day on that Friday. It was worth leaving. And and I really appreciate Mike, you know, showing me the ropes. And, and to be honest with you, it's something I'll be back to do again. It was it was really fun. And it's a neat area down there in southern Colorado. I mean, you're not far from Moab. You're not far from Mesa Verde. You know, Four Corners, there's tons of stuff. You know, Arches National Park, it's all right down there in that area. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of other stuff to do. You could make it a multi-purpose trip, you know. So, mm -hmm. But the gnats, the biting gnats, that's something I will mention. I still have marks on my arms from those stinking things. They you got pretty bad. You guys were hoping to get there before they kind of hatched, right? Yeah, yeah, we'll have to go a little earlier next year. But <laughs> yeah, It's all a timing thing, you know, and it's just one of those deals where you can hit it just perfect or you can just be miserable. And that first day, it wasn't too bad. When you and I met up, Jason, it wasn't too terribly bad because the wind was, you know, it just had some breezes, but it would get yeah. breezy and then it would die down totally. And then that's when they would come out and then it'd get breezy. And so you can kind of work around it. I went back the next day and I think Jason had already left and it was mm -hmm. horrible, but I found a lizard that was super cooperative. So that time I had my pants on, I had long sleeve shirts on, I was wearing a buff way up over my head. All you could see were my eyes just because <laughs> it was just, it's miserable. And then I was wearing these little short socks so my pants didn't cover my ankles and my ankles got bit up. I mean, it's just amazing. They just find whatever yeah. flesh they can find and you're, you've got problems. Yep. So yeah, and I don't know. I mean, it's such a, it's, you don't know when that exact time is the best time to go. Yeah. 
it's probably different every year, right? I think so. Weather dependent. Yeah. 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 yeah and, I, and I will say they're not. They stink. And I, and I also now have a buff in my arsenal because uh, <laughs> I asked Mike what what to do, and he told me, and so I got one ordered, and it's our. It just got here today, actually. And uh, my, the other thing I would say, another just kind of a tip, is when you're going to go out doing something like this, it's a really good idea to take somebody with you that's not a fan of the critter that you're looking for. <laughs> um, my wife is petrified of uh, snakes and lizards and she loves to see them she'll look at them from afar but the idea of one touching her getting close to her freaks her out and i'm not kidding she probably spotted 75 percent of the lizards that we saw <laughs> you know so i'm but i'm pretty sure it's because her senses were tuned in to be like hey there's something i don't like <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. no she was she was a sport she had a good time i think for the most part so <laughs> here's what i liked about it was we are seeing posts from where you're up shooting, Ron, and you guys are in snow. I mean, you're getting some cool stuff. You're getting some bears. You're getting that stuff. But there's how many photographers? But everybody you know, had the same shot. Everybody's yeah. getting the same shots. And we're yeah. do down here doing something that's completely different. You know, you put up a bear shot on Instagram with a lizard shot on Instagram, and the bear's going to win every time. But but it is important to have vary this portfolio and, and try to get some other stuff. So that was the cool thing is... It was a way to get away. It was a way to get something that's completely different. And it was just Jason and I. We didn't deal with, you know, nobody yeah. else. We can do whatever we needed to do. Yep. And yep. that's going going back to some questions that we've had in the past that have been kind of repeat questions from different people. So everybody's wondering the same thing. How can I get my stuff published? Well, if you go out and find one of these species or, or one of these niches that is unique and most people don't have, that's a good way to get yourself published because, you know, it's not going to be every month in some of these wildlife magazines that they feature something like that. But I promise you there will be an opportunity to get some images published if that's what you're looking to do. If you find one of these kind of unique opportunities that you really don't see anybody else spending time on. Yeah, I can promise you there's people that got way better images of those bears than I did. You know, I, I focus mostly on video and we can talk about that a little bit too, but everybody had them. There yeah. were a lot of podcast listeners. I was trying to meet people because I'd recognize people's names and trying to meet people and visit, but you couldn't because the opportunities were short-lived and you had to be filming or shooting, you know, while those opportunities were there. You know, it's kind of nice once in a while to be down there on your own and know you've got something that nobody else has. Yeah. And you guys got some awesome images, of course, but just unique yeah. stuff. Yeah, it was fun, and I would say that too. It's it's interesting to me because when I first doing started doing photography, um, I was actually talking to um, a, ter a buddy of mine, Terry, about this over the weekend. But it's um, you know I I started out with pretty much ungulates and stuff. You know I really like deer, elk, moose, bison, that kind of stuff. But as I've continued to photograph and I've started to build my portfolio and I've got you know more and more of those types of images. Um, it's actually very intriguing to me to start, you know, broadening my horizons and starting to photograph other species. And, you know, some of the birds that I've been chasing lately, you know, snowy egrets and great blue herons and um, out of the Bear River Bird Refuge, cinnamon teal, um, you know, I had some really neat encounters with those things. And then to go down and, you know, photograph the reptiles. And I was telling Mike at some point, I definitely want to, you know, make some rattlesnake stuff happen and some things like that, you know, and there's there's ways to do that, but you got to plan it and you got to be ready to do it. And you got to know what you're doing and you got to go to the places where they're at. Right. We so, can do that here. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we can in Colorado, we can do it in Utah too. I'm sure. Right. But it's just, it's the point is, is you got to take time away from those other things and focus on some of those things as well. And you know, it, it all comes with time. I think for me anyways, it has been that way, but I absolutely want, want to focus on other species and and do more of those things you know i'm never probably going to miss an elk rut <laughs> i don't I, you know i think i did some math and if i live to be um if i live for another 20 years and i got 20 more elk ruts that's tw that's i'll be 66 you know and hopefully i'm still out chasing them and doing that but when you think about it that way that's 20 elk ruts you know that's not very many elk ruts when you really think about it so anyways um, I'm not going to sacrifice certain things in certain times, but it is, I think, beneficial for you to go out and try to build your portfolio and and focus on some different species. And then, real quick, um, when I, for an example, when you're out there by yourself and you're in an area where nobody else is around, you also get to experience some things that you know you may not experience otherwise. And I didn't get any good images of this, but I was at Bear River and I was the only one out there. And it's a pretty popular place. 
and it's just a, an auto tour loop and you can take a big loop around a big marsh area and there's you know a, a canal that runs along the side so there's birds and stuff nesting and and there's all kinds of stuff going on out there a lot of lots of activity and biodiversity and i just came across this great blue heron that was right off the side of the road and i whipped around and usually they're pretty skittish they don't stick around but i whipped around and he was so intent on whatever he was doing that he didn't move and so i whipped around and pulled rolled my window down and just whipped my camera up and got ready and i took a few shots and i did something what's he what's he doing what's he trying to get and he wasn't by the water he was on the by the road so all of a sudden he made a move and jumped down and came back up and he had a great big like six foot long blow snake and uh, he had pegged it pretty good and the snake was sitting there trying to bite him and stuff and then he he was facing away from me of course and then he <laughs> flew away you know he flew away and I could see the snake dangling from him I got some documentary photos that I'm probably gonna put on my story here pretty soon and then when he landed I went up there and got closer to him and I actually got some okay images. But the background was so busy that, you know, it just, you know, it just doesn't make for a great image. But it's it tells a story for sure. Mm-hmm. And then he flew away from there again. And I got him flying out over the cattails with, the you know, big snake hanging down from his beak. But, um, you know, I've never seen that before. And I would have never have seen that if I hadn't been out there that day. Um, and those kind of crazy things happen to you. And you get you get the opportunity to experience those things when you put the time in and when you spend the time out there doing it, you know, so. Well, and if, if you do get the right image or you get the right attitude from the whatever the species is, if he would have been looking at you, I mean, you could have, who knows? I mean, that could end up being one of those award-winning shots that get your name recognized and, you know, starts building a career. I mean, yeah. I mean, you could do that with any species, but a lot of times nowadays, if it's a not quite as recognizable species, I think it, that stands out even more, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. so it's worth doing for sure yeah ron what was you going to say about video well that's what i kind of i i spent most of the time videoing oh. uh when i saw you with the the bears you were shooting stills i was i was videoing and got a lot of good you know digging behavior uh, i don't know what she was after but she almost dug up a whole sapling trying <laughs> to get whatever she was after but she was pretty intent on it and then when the boar came down out of the trees, there was this, a young sow and a and a large boar, and he was he was chasing her, but you could tell he was kind of worn out from the the pursuit. Ladies will do that to you. <laughs> <laughs> but he came down off a nap. He was sleeping in the trees, and when he came down, he kind of went in the same area and started digging, rooting around for just a few minutes, not as long as she did. And then he kind of sat up. He sat on his haunches you could tell he was tired and jason i think you posted a an image of that on instagram yeah and again i was videoing and then he got up started woofing and kind of walked after her. Mm-hmm. It, i was able to get some audio of that but there's there's some background noise i think we can cut most of it out for youtube of of him walking and just kind of barking at her a little bit and that was mm-hmm. the other thing that i did this week and i've been kind of putting some things together to make audio better and to try to get some of that when i get out in the field and i bought a you know on mike's suggestion bought a blimp for my audio technica mic and i took that out and every time we were out before daylight and the you know the birds were going crazy i'd just throw it out there leave sit as still as i could and try to get some audio that we can use as background audio for different clips things like that but then you know, even the audio that I caught on video, that the mic in that D850 actually is pretty sensitive. So I caught a lot of good audio of, uh, you know, some coots. I got a coot that was kind of swimming through the reeds and was cackling. Um, some warblers singing, some robin singing, caught an, an ibis. I never did get any video of it, um, but I got some audio of the ibis in the background while I was down at this marsh. And that was... What I did that weekend was I photographed the bears, of course, but then I the one opportunity just got a little bit crazy. I mean, I bet there was pretty close to four or five hundred people there. Holy uh, cow! For the South Cubs, and there were cars pulled off and wrecked, and it was a mess. You couldn't couldn't even get to it we had to walk about a mile and a half to get to where the opportunity was and it was a, it was a nightmare and i'm sure it was a nightmare for the rangers as well they actually hazed a bear with cubs of the year which they don't usually do 
Um, but I think it was just to try to get her away from the road so that the traffic issues wouldn't be as bad. Um, and so I just decided I'd, there was no picture to me that was worth dealing with that. And so I left and kind of did some different things, went to some different areas that I knew of and knew to look and got some beaver images and a lot of bird video waterfowl video which was nice but the audio i think we'll be able to use a lot of that there was one uh scene these elk were just kind of feeding out in this meadow and kind of in through the willows and these frogs every once in a while this bunch of frogs would just light up and go crazy huh. and we kept timing it and every time i would move of course they would stop and so i went and got the mic and i just sat the mic well away from me so i wouldn't get any of the the noise that I was making or camera noise. And sure enough, you know, as, as we held still and for about 10, 15 minutes and all of a sudden the frogs started going again. So you've got all that, you know, frog sound with the elk out feeding in this meadow. And that was pretty awesome. You know, speaking about that, it's so important. If, if people are getting into media in general, so we all shoot stills, we shoot video audio is just a whole nother tool, right? You know, it's, it's just as important as the stills or the video for telling these stories. And, and even more so now, because we can do these things on Instagram where you actually have cool things. I was shooting last night, a red tail hawk nest. And I just know some people over here that told me about it and they're like, Oh, it's just right. You know, right above our house, you sit on a hill and it's, it's over on the other side of a road. And then you're kind of looking down into the nest. I mean, it's pretty far. It's I'm having to use my two to four with the one four engaged and shooting my 8K camera at 4K to get enough magnification to get close enough. And it still doesn't even come close to filling the frame. But it's kind of cool if if an adult comes in, you get you have more room for that flying action. But it's in the little town here in the mountains where there's lots of Harleys. There's lots of like cars with loud mufflers and they're going up and down this road and there's absolutely no way I can use and there's no way for audio so hopefully I'll have and it was a red tail hawk and then there was a eastern blue jay and this eastern blue jay was giving that hawk the business man that blue jay would not leave that hawk alone and so it would sit over there and do its call its alert call and then it would try to attack the red tail and then the red tail would scream and mm -hmm. you can see all this happening on the video, but I've got no audio to support mm -hmm. this. And I sent that clip. I think I sent it to you guys this morning. I sent it to a couple yep. other friends and they're like, uh, did you get any audio? Cause you can tell that that hawk is screaming and it would be so cool if I had it, but there's absolutely no chance. So doing what you're doing, Ron, is so important to have that. Honestly, all these nature documentaries, a lot of that stuff's dubbed in. There's, It's so hard to get everything just perfect, especially if you're in a really popular park or if you're in a popular area. You know, you know that trying to get audio around those bears between cars and other photographers and shutter clicks on cameras, you just don't get it. So if you can get somewhere and actually just have that resource to record that audio that's it's valuable i th i think moving forward it's going to be just as valuable as getting good video and good photos yeah mm -hmm. yeah that it was kind of fun and but it was challenging to think about okay yeah i can sit there right next to the microphone and then i'd listen back to a clip and every time you move your foot those microphones are so sensitive every time i move my foot and the gravel just rubbed against each other you're picking it up on the mic. Yeah. And at one time I, I actually hid it in a bush in this area. There were some sandhill cranes and then there were some geese on this lake and it was before daylight. And so I just left it and kind of hid it off the trail. And then we went around to photograph a different spot. There was a nice reflection and, and some mergansers that were on the water, went around to photograph them, left it for about a half an hour. And I just listened to that the other day and the blimp has got a big dead cat on it. And so my concern was that something was going to think it was food. And I don't know what it was, but something was pecking on it. I think it was a smaller bird because it wasn't really loud. But you can hear it. It's just don't, don't, don't. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'd hear him sing. That's exactly what I do is I'll leave it out there for an hour or two. You know, it's just no way. If you're sitting there with it, it's going to pick up every little fidget that you make. And then that becomes unusable. So I, if I'm in a situation, you know, in Denali in the old days, I would just, when we had the photo permits, I would find a spot along the, the road where I could 
you know, I knew there wasn't going to be a lot of traffic for the remainder of the day. And I would just set it out there and come back two or three hours later. And, and sometimes you get stuff and sometimes you get nothing, you know, sometimes you just might get wind blowing or whatever, but all that stuff is usable and it, it works in your production. So it's something to think about. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, when I'm doing some video and stuff, I've noticed every time I listen to a clip, it drives me insane, but I'll, you can hear my, I can hear my breathing. Yep. I can hear, you know, and it's like, I feel like I've got to like push record and like walk away from the camera or just hold my breath or something, you know, it's just, it's like, oh, and, and there's times when I've had opportunities to get some cool stuff and, and I could get the sound too, if I could, if I could stay quiet, you know what I mean? But, yep. yep. That's a big part of it. Now, it's good to talk about that stuff. I don't know how many people are actually out there doing it, but I think it's going to be one of those things that more people will pick up as time goes on. Yeah. yeah. And I did one species that's given me a lot of trouble is rough grouse. And I have found the area where next spring I'm going to go spend some time. There was probably five or six different males that you could hear in different spots around us. And it's just a beautiful scene. Not many people. Actually, we heard a couple of people walk by at one point. But I'd walked in with a couple guys that are friends of the podcast, and so there were four of us, and we walked in. There were rough grouse everywhere, and so we tried at that point. I I think a guy's gonna have to go in there with a blind because they are a little bit shy, and just be patient. But they come back to the same, you know, either log or rock, whatever they're strutting on, they'll come back to it if you can just spend the time yeah, and so i think, be, I think next year that's definitely something i'm going to try cool do you want to give out your latitude and longitude yeah right <laughs> i was um <laughs> right at the base of nunya ridge <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's exactly right yeah you're gonna, you're gonna share with us or what let's go come on but yeah no, i've always wanted to do that those drumming those drumming logs or whatever you want to call them that they're you know they can be pretty cool and they make some amazing sounds matter of fact i just heard on the mediator podcast the other day they were talking about it and they were talking about those those wing beats and what that actually is and maybe you've mentioned it before on here ron but it's it's literally a, like a sonic boom yeah they is cut, what the sound cut is their the wings way they cut their wings and they force the air out by their body and it makes a little it, that's the noise it's not it beating against them or the the log so yeah pretty pretty impressive but. and actually when i first saw you mm-hmm. so picture that area mm-hmm there's a rough grouse that's got a, a drumming log like just inside the tree line where we were at. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And I kept thinking, no, there's a big-ass male grizzly in there. <laughs> <laughs> a lovesick male grizzly, mind I'm not you. going after that bird. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want him mistaking you for a sow. <laughs> no, for sure. <laughs> Definitely not. He was a big fella. What else did you shoot, Ron? Is there anything else that we missed on what you've been doing? No, I got, you know, just a lot of waterfowl, um, cinnamon teal. I got uh, some swans. And there, that opportunity is going to get better because I actually know, I found out later that this guy is managing it. But he used to be a game warden in western Wyoming, and I know him. But he's the manager of this. Uh, it's part of the Teton Science School. But they have a pond where they do some swan recovery efforts, and they have some nesting birds. So I'm going to have the opportunity to go in there and just get at water level. Because I was a little bit, you know, above water level, which is not ideal, filming the swans. But they were out a ways, so you can kind of cut the angle, and it makes it look like you're a little bit lower than you actually are. But it's just a it's a neat spot, and it's always dark in there. So when you set the dark reflections against those white birds, it makes for, number one, it makes for an easier exposure on a white bird. And number two, it just makes it a lot more dramatic. So it's a, it is a good spot. Um, that was about it. I mean, the bears obviously were the primary focus and saw 11 grizzlies in, what, three and a half days. So I have zero complaints there. Hmm. And then uh, saw a coyote, didn't get any images, but it was coming right at me. That, that one was my fault. If I would have just hunkered down, it probably would have been eye level at about 30, 40 yards when it came out of the willows. And... Uh, yeah, I'll take full responsibility for that one. <laughs> the other thing I was going to say about the video, and this is going to kind of lead into my pro tip, so I don't know if we're ready for that yet or no, not. No, I still got one more story. And I just, Do you have a, another story, Jason, or anything else that you shot? Yeah, I could talk about a couple of things, but if you want to go first, that's fine. No, no, go ahead. Okay. It, so I think I may have shot the same beavers that Ron shot, but um, that was another one of those where I was like, I, I really don't have any of that um, in my 
in my portfolio and other than just a head out of the water beaver shot that you know most people have but that was a pretty incredible opportunity and i was doing some of that trying to get low so i was laying right on the bank and the bank comes down it you know it, it comes down like this it's not a flat bank and it's got a pretty good lean to it so i was laying down <laughs> facing the water trying to get my camera up and get as low as i could anyways it was a I think there's some people laughing at me while I was doing that, but like the shots I got were kind of cool. So, but yeah, to see that beaver behavior and seeing the mom out of the water and cleaning herself and just, you know, watching her munch on a on a stick and eat the bark off of it in the water with the sun hitting her and I mean just some pretty incredible opportunities there. Um, and then I did get some kit foxes that I was I found a fox den and made some good use of that um got got one shoot with those kit and foxes then I, or fox kits I'm sorry fox kits apologize yes they were red foxes <laughs> they were kits <laughs> thank you um but yeah no it was a fun experience um and I actually missed some opportunities too but that's just the way it goes you can't be everywhere at once and you know we talk about that it's like you're always second guessing yourself when you're out there you know where should I be you know, am I in the right spot, man? I'm doing, I'm doing okay right here, but what's going on over there? You know, and how long should I spend doing this and so on? And you gotta, I, I have to always remind myself to just chill, just enjoy what you're doing, you know, just enjoy the encounters you get and, you know, do the best you can to be where you need to be when you need to be there. Um, you know, and things, things work out. And, but again, back to your guys's points you've made in the past multiple times is when you go on these shoots, it's really important to try to put as much time as you can in, the two, the four days I was there, I think I only had only, and I, I'm not complaining, but I think I only had three really good encounters in those four days. And so there was a lot of car time and a lot of foot time where nothing was happening. And, you know, it's just the way wildlife is. And, uh, but that's okay. That's part of the game. So, you know, I, I got super lucky on that Friday when I went for the one day trip. Um, that, that rarely happens, you know, but sometimes you just take the chance. So <laughs> yeah, you, well, you've got the luck on your side for sure, but that's the time when you're second guessing yourself when you're putting on all those road miles and you're walking all those trails or doing whatever. And, and you know, there's other photographers around in the area and there's, you're like, ah, are they getting something that uh, I'm just totally <laughs> just missing this boat 100%. Yep. It's yeah. so easy to let your mind work on it. But I've got to, to where you're at, where I just don't worry about it. Yeah. You just go with it. Yeah. yeah, you can't worry about it. You just got to be where you're going to be and make your call and live with it, you know. And and things happen. Things will work out for you. So Yeah. Well, and then what I was going to talk about was kind of one of these situations where I wasn't expecting to shoot at all this particular day. And I was helping a buddy out. And I got a phone call. And so walked out of where we were working in his garage. And I went and sat on his front porch. And I'm just sitting there talking on the phone. And I lean back. And I'm just laying on his porch on my back, just looking up in this aspen tree. And here comes this little hummingbird flying in. And then she just lay, you know, sits right down. And I'm like, she just landed there. And so I kind of was peeking around and I thought, did she just land? Is she just sitting on a branch or is she in a nest? So I got to looking and sure enough, she's sitting right in. She flew right into a little nest. And this is, I don't know, 15 feet from his door. And <laughs> so it's like, I, he didn't know it was there. Well, I mean, we know there's hummingbirds around, but finding a hummingbird nest, I don't know. Have you guys ever found one before? Nope. Have not. <laughs> I've seen them before, but it's always been because somebody else pointed them out, you know, and it, and I've never filmed it. It was always on a, like, when I was working as a biologist for the park service or when I was doing something else, you see them. But this was, like, the first chance I ever got. And then it's the way it's situated is just I can sit on his porch with my tripod up, and I'm almost, like, dead even with that nest. And I'm just far enough away where she's comfortable. You can't be messing around. You can't be walking around. You can't be moving. But if you get your stuff set up and then you just sit there nice and tight, she would come in and just sit down. And then the behavior you get to see, I mean, it's not a lot because she's sitting on eggs, right? But just to see the way, how long their tongue is. I mean, she would just stick her tongue out and, you know, how big their beaks are. You know, that tongue, that tongue is twice again <laughs> as big as that beak, you know, which... That stands to reason for the way that they feed. So I started doing a lot of research and I'm like, well, how long does it take for the hatch? And then how long does it take for these little ones to grow up? And you're talking a pinto bean is the size of these eggs, right? So they're itty bitty. And then they're born without feathers and they're born with a really short beak. But over the course of, you know, 12, 14 days and her feeding them, they just get bigger and bigger and bigger. And I don't know at what point they fledge, how many days it is. I didn't do that much research yet, but 
I think I'm going to drive back down there just to go do that one more time just because it's so different, right? I don't think you can pass that opportunity up. That's what, that's like we were talking about earlier. Number one, who has the images of it? Number two, who's got the video? Right. Yeah. Of a fledging hummingbird. Right. So, and it's just in a super, I mean, I could sit there and run into his fridge and get something to drink and come back out and and probably not bother her at all. But uh, it was just a cool opportunity and just really cool to see how, and I didn't know this either, but as they build that nest out of like spider webs and stuff like that. So it's really nice and tight around her. And I'll put some video in either in this podcast or on the show notes or something. But apparently as the little ones start to grow, that nest is intended to expand a little bit to provide room for everything. So it, it could be a really cool thing to document. I texted him today and I said, is she still sitting on eggs or is, or is she working to feed them? And uh, he said she's still sitting. So I think I've got a little bit of time, probably a week or so that I can go back down there and we'll see what we can get. But Yeah, because she'll be super active when those things hatch. That'll be fun. Exactly. Yeah. 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 What a great opportunity. Wow. Well, and I told him, I said, maybe you should put up a hummingbird feeder. And then we got to talking and he's like, well, do you think maybe she chose this spot because there aren't any hummingbird feeders and she wanted to be, you know how, if you guys have ever mm-hmm. sat around a feeder, you know, these guys fight constantly and they're territorial. And she's like, and he was saying, well, you know, and he's a, a biologist as well. And we got to talking, maybe that bird chose that spot because there's not a lot of activity. But he did say that she flew into his garage the other day and was like really eyeing a fire extinguisher, like because it was red, you know, like anything red. <laughs> yeah, crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so he lives in a kind of a rural area. So there's probably five or six houses and they're all on a couple, two or three acres. So I would assume other houses around there probably have feeders. So she can probably get to. And then there's lots of natural vegetation with flowers and stuff, too. So. We'll see. I'll, I'll report back on that with our next podcast. My opportunity here, I'm, I'm going to go Friday, actually, because I want to see it in good light. But I have been looking and looking and looking for There's a lot of raccoons around here. And in the springtime, I just go around and pretty much every hollowed out knot in a tree, I just sit there and watch for a long time and drives everybody I know crazy. But I'm trying <laughs> to find baby raccoons in a tree. And I think i've had a rancher that's got his kids out watching his kids are always up and down the creek so we think we have that opportunity so i'll let you guys know how that turns out so let me get this right you have talked kids into watching tree holes for you well yeah (laughs) okay well just making sure i understood (laughs) these kids spend a lot of time in the uh the great outdoors so they're always looking perfect you better pay them for a really good sighting or location yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it's a chicken McNugget <laughs> box or something. Yeah. Oh, that's all I had. So let's go, let's get into our pro tips and you might as well start it wrong. Cause you were talking about video and you said it would lead right into that pro tip. Yeah. So I got, you know, we've talked about it in the past. The Nikon D850 is not a great DSLR for video. Uh, some of the new mirrorless systems are way better. Canon's autofocus is way better than Nikon's DSLRs. Uh, So I've had a little bit of a struggle. I've been trying to get everything set up so that, you know, it wouldn't matter which camera system I'm working on. I'm set up to just plug and go. And so one of the things that I purchased, because of the limitations on the file type and the file size, it doesn't record any RAW. So any video that I record in that camera is MP4 or MOV, so you have very little, it's like shooting a JPEG versus a a RAW file for a still image. There's not a lot of editing that you can do. So I bought an Atomos Ninja 5, which basically is an external recorder. It's an external monitor, but it's also a recorder. And I can record 4K video at 60 frames a second on that, just right off the camera's sensor, even though the camera is not capable of of doing that. So it basically un- unlocks the power of your camera's sensor and it's an external recorder. So you plug an SSD drive into it. So I've got two and a half terabytes of memory that I can use in that thing. And I don't have to use my cameras, you know, my SD and an XQD card. I don't have to chew up the space on there for video. I can just record it right all on the Atomos. Now, everything that I saw on this thing on YouTube and anywhere online it's 
they make it sound like it's just a plug and play. <laughs> and so this is my pro tip. <laughs> Test out the plug and play <laughs> at home first. <laughs> because this thing needed a firmware update, which I did not have. It will recognize the D850, but it didn't allow me to record from the D850 without the firmware update. So that was that was a problem. What I did use it for is it's got focus peaking. And for those of you that don't know, focus peaking basically just tells you where your focus plane is. It tells you what's in focus while you're videoing. So you can follow focus a little bit easier uh, with the peaking because you know exactly where it is that focus plane and actually when you play with it you zoom in zoom out with your focus you can see that focal plane move back and forth through the frame of the image and it, it just makes it a ton easier i mean doug gardner if you listen back to podcasts from this winter we were up uh filming sheep and there was this one episode where i just had to totally cut bait and switch the stills because I couldn't keep up with it focus wise this scenario this rams group of rams chasing a you and Doug videoed that filmed that whole thing and just I mean Doug is the manual focus master anyway but with that focus peaking it made it gave him the ability to follow that whole scene as it kind of unraveled and it was right at us and back away and through the trees and so it does have focus peaking, and I was able to use that to get some video and be able to do some manual focusing on video, which is one of the things that I wanted to do. But the limitation was the camera. So I don't have anything that I've recorded on it yet. You can record raw 4K60 uh, clips, which is fantastic. You can speed it up, slow it down, do pretty much anything with the, with the 4K60 so that was a disappointment, but it was a good opportunity for a pro tip. Do a little work with it in the living room before you put it to work in the field. <laughs> yeah, we talk about that all the time, right? Any any piece of electronics you get, just know that you should always check for downloads before you try to go out and start using it because it is, it's always those little gotchas that'll get you. You know, and I oftentimes learn better out in the field when I'm under pressure because I just will figure it out. <laughs> but you know, you could sit in your backyard and try it out and everything seems to work except for that thing that you need when you're out in the field. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, well, I never figured that out because I didn't have a bear walking at me or I didn't have a bird flying away or whatever it was. I don't know. It's, it's a, I think it's really a good tip for sure. Yeah. And one yeah. thing that I wanted to mention because I, it's proof positive that people actually listen to these pro tips. So uh, Randy Redding, uh, who's a listener of the podcast, heard Jason and I talking. It was, what, a couple months ago. I think we were talking about carrying your lens, your your bigger lenses, by the foot. Mm -hmm. And uh, so Randy came up with a, a nice hack, and I'll pass it on to everybody else. Because Jason and I had both, and I think, Mike, you even talked about having experience with that thing kind of slipping once in a while out of your hand. And Randy said what he does is take some of that either either adhesive sandpaper or the no-slip tape like you would put in the shower, and he mm -hmm. puts a little bit of that on the top of his foot, and then when he's carrying that, he doesn't have any slippage at all. Mm. It basically grabs his glove or grabs his fingers, whatever he's dealing with, and I thought yeah. that was a, a good hack, and everybody everybody should hear that one. It might keep you from filing an insurance claim sometime. Yeah. <laughs> Randy, where were you in November of last year? <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a good one. That was a twofer. Yeah, yeah. twofer. One of them was Randy, so there's one each still. Yeah. <laughs> hey, real quick on that app, that Ninja Atmos 5. Yes. Um, that um, I heard you also can still take stills with your camera while you you're videoing. Yep, absolutely. Um, the only thing I don't understand is can you – have can you have camera settings or are you shooting those stills with the video settings no you have to shoot the stills with the video settings so yeah. you'd have to take a still image because you're only you know at 60p or 60 frames a second your yeah. shutter then would be set for 120 125th of a second yeah um 
so you'd you'd have to have those settings. I got you. Okay, awesome. that's kind of what I thought, but I, I was thinking that'd be pretty cool if you can just put a remote shutter on there and put that thing in silent mode and take photos at the same time while you're getting yeah. video on the other hard drive. And somebody know, please send us a comment if I'm wrong about that, uh, because you can, you know, you're you're setting the uh, the ad. It's all going through the lens, so there's no way. Yeah. It's yeah. all going off the sensor Thought through it. the yeah. lens, so. That would be the stuff, right? If it could do that, if you could shoot that way, the closest thing to get to that, I mean, several cameras do it, but, and probably the Sony's would do it really easily if you're into programming your menu. But on the Canon 1DX, you had two custom function buttons. And one of my buddies would set one for stills and one for video. So you didn't have to, I mean, you still have to switch, but he could just hit one button and be at a faster shutter speed and the settings that you want for a still image, and then he could click another button and be down to where you want to be when you're trying to shoot video. So that's the closest that I think you could get to. But at some point, they're going to come up with that, right? This got it. Uh, well, who knows? I mean, they're always talking about what is that LiDAR or what was that camera that was going to you choose your focus point after the fact? Do you, you oh, guys yeah. hear about that? Mm-mm. I just heard about it, actually. Yeah, and that's been they've been talking about that for a couple of years. So, at some point, all that stuff's going to happen. Yeah. And then there won't be any need for a podcast except to tell you where to go to <laughs> photograph certain species because that thing will take care of all of it. But Ron's going to send you to Nunya Ridge. Yeah. How your camera got up in the middle of the night and went and took photos on its own. <laughs> Jeez. It's right at the base of No Tellum Creek. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> well, camera trapping is is you're about there, right? You don't even have to be there. Yeah. To make it happen. Yeah. Pretty pretty sure. All right, Jason, what do you got for us? Dr. Doolittle. Dr. Doolittle, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um I actually have one that actually came up over this last weekend. I was out shooting and and uh a gal I ran into, um really super nice gal. Um, was asking me about my camera setup and that, and she she has the Nikon two to five hundred, and um, she has the original foot on it. And I told her she was complaining about that, and I said, you know, she couldn't get it quite tight. And, so, and I said, yeah, it's very common with Nikon equipment in general, but those stock feet generally are not very good, you know, very good. And every single time on all my Nikon lenses that have a foot, I have replaced that foot with a really right stuff foot immediately so i wanted to just talk a little bit about the really right stuff product just a bit because there's some other benefits to using the really right stuff um system and um so on my not on my 500 prime but on my two to 500 and on my sony um, i replaced both those feet with the really right stuff foot and the nice thing about it it's a, it's a quick detach setup and on the um on the nikon two to 500 um, it replaces the entire collar, um, but it does tighten properly. Also, the other nice thing about those replacement feet is they have the Arca Swiss um, built right in. So now instead of having to have a plate, I can just go from tripod to tripod. And as long as all my system is set up as Arca Swiss, I can switch very easily between my tripods. Um, the other thing I'm using with Really Right Stuff, and I would recommend this, is the L-brackets. Um, I use the really right stuff L brackets on both of those on my 850, my 810, and my my A7R4, and that again is the Arca Swiss built in, and I can put it in portrait or landscape mode on any Arca Swiss setup. Um, the other benefit with the really right stuff um, system is they have a they have the quick detach system like the military uses, so it's the little ball plunge um, for your strap. So when you're using a strap, you can actually just take and you can buy their little quick detach system and you just you just push the button down and slide it in the spot and let it go and make sure it's tight. And now I can carry my lens either from the foot or I can it's got multiple points on the uh, on the L bracket as well that I can attach that quick detach system to. So now I can have my my camera on me on a strap from many different um, angles or whatever based on what you're doing. You know, and that comes in handy depending on what you're shooting. You might want it to where you can just reach down and grab the body instead of having to, you know, grab the the um, the, the foot, for example. So um, just that's kind of my pro tip. Um, I, I let that gal know about that. That's how I do it. And I really like those features you get with it too, the additional 
being able to use the strap and the quick detach system. Um, and, and when you go across the board with something like that, then it makes it real simple to switch between things. So that's my tip. I think that's really similar to buying a really crappy filter, right? Cause you can buy some really crappy tripod plates. You can buy some really marginal L brackets, but really right stuff just is so precision and you pay a little bit more for that, but I think you just get a way better product. And and what you're saying, you just get so much versatility. They think about everything with that stuff, and it just works. Yep, yep. Well, and they also make stuff for military. As a matter of fact, they've expanded their their line to include, you know, shooting systems for the military and so on. Um, but yeah, they do. And the and they're I think they're actually based here in Utah. I think they just moved their headquarters here to Utah not too long ago. So you know, it's all and it's all manufactured and made in house. It's 100% owned by them and controlled by them. Um, and they stand behind their products too. So yeah, good company, high quality stuff. We may need to talk to them about a sponsorship. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> so my pro tip is super lame compared to both of yours, <laughs> but you always say that but it ends up being awesome. So <laughs> I have found, um, so I've been shooting a lot of video lately and it happened down at the lizards, Jason, and I didn't have this little item and I wished I would have. But I was having an issue the other night out shooting these hawks because every afternoon in Denver, we'll get these thunderstorms that roll through, right? And with these thunderstorms, you get tons of wind. And I've had this happen in Alaska, too, where you're shooting out on those uh, flats, those mud flats out there when the, at low tide, and you just always got wind at the ocean. Well, when you're shooting a big lens and you're trying to shoot video, it's like a big sail. So the minute you get a little breeze and you're shooting at high magnification, you'd barely tap that tripod and it's vibrating, right? So though you can imagine what the wind is going to do. This obviously works for other things too, is this right here that I'm holding is a little umbrella. What I've started to do is I'll take an umbrella with me everywhere I go, and then whatever, thunderstorms are a little bit difficult because wind can come in any direction, but like out on, when you're on the ocean, you tend to get the breeze coming in the same direction all the time. What I've started to do is, pop out these umbrellas and then I'll hold it on the side that the wind's coming from, sh you know, shield the camera. And then a lot of times I can get that video without that shake mm. just because I'm using this umbrella to break that, that wind to go around the camera rather than directly on it. And then of course, last year when I was doing all that moose stuff in Alaska, you know, it rains a lot up there. And then of course you use it as a regular umbrella in that situation. So <laughs> I went out to Amazon and I don't know, you guys, anybody that's watching the podcast can see this on YouTube, but I don't know, this thing's maybe eight inches long and it's just a little, it's a little heavy to be packing around in your pack, but it's, I bought enough of them to put in every one of my packs so that I just don't have to have to remember, oh, I got to grab the umbrella. So, yeah. you know, and they're only, I don't know, 12, 15 bucks per, but I throw them yeah. in every pack now and it's. It certainly made my video. So, Ron, with all the video you're shooting, you know, the other thing is with that Atomos monitor, now all of a sudden you added another point that can just catch more wind, and then you just have all these problems. It's really great if somebody's with you because then they can hold the umbrella for you and you can operate the camera. A lot of times I'm by myself, so you're trying to hold the umbrella, run the camera, but hopefully you can get everything set up, and then all you have to do is hit record but you certainly can't follow something and try to run your focus and hold an umbrella. I mean, but nothing's perfect, but it definitely will save the day. It did with these Hawks that I shot yesterday. Yeah. So see that one right there in your hand. Yeah. Go put that one in the bag that you took to the desert. <laughs> yeah. Right? And that's what made me think of it. And then I'm out here with these Hawks and cause a lot of that footage with that first lizard that you and I shot, it was breezy, and we were talking about that. Yeah. And we wanted the breeze because we wanted to get rid of the gnats. So mm -hmm. it was like a catch-22. <laughs> My footage sucks, but the gnats weren't bad. <laughs> and it reminded me to get the umbrella in my pack. So <laughs> it all worked. Uh, so it's kind of a lame little tip, but it really works. And, of course, you don't need it with stills. But with video, it's definitely needed. So if you're ever out shooting with Mike and he asks you to hold the umbrella, <laughs> it's just so you can block the wind instead of him and then he can get some stills while the video's rolling <laughs> and he won't miss it and you will. Yep. <laughs> yep. Oh, yep. you know what? The other feature, that Atomos Ninja that I didn't even know before I bought it, 
the other feature that I've always been envious of your camera system um, that you have the pre-record. Oh, does it have that? It has pre-record on it. So I'll never have to cry about that anymore. Yeah. And it, I don't know what you can set it at, but I, I don't either. I haven't, I haven't even messed with it. I just saw the setting and I was going to do some reading on it, um, on, in the manual now that I know it's, it's available, but you know, you can be set up for video and all of a sudden the hummingbird flies back into the nest. You didn't see it, but you just hit the pre-record and that thing recorded those 12 or 20 seconds, whatever you have it set at, yeah. even though you weren't paying attention. Yeah, I've been using that on these hawks because I was told, and, and I actually saw footage that the guy that told me about it, but these particular hawks are bringing in snakes on a daily basis. So they'll come oh, flying cool. in with the snake to, to drop off with the at the nest. And it is. It's one of those deals. And my camera, you know, you leave it on for quite a while, but it's chewing through batteries. So sometimes you're turning it off, but sometimes... <laughs> You don't know when that adult's going to come back in, right? But having that pre-record is one of those things where, in my camera, you can set it at, I think it's 5, 10. I think it goes all the way up to 30 seconds. So you could capture that whole last 30 seconds if you want to. The downside is, is it chews through the batteries. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. All right. Well, I think that was a pretty good little episode. Hopefully people are interested in some of our adventures. Yeah, I was glad we caught back up with each other. And I got to meet so many people in the field up there because it, everybody was kind of congregated in these couple different uh, these couple different areas and opportunities. And I just can't tell you guys enough how much I enjoyed meeting each and every one of you. I hope to meet you again when we actually have time to uh, sit down and visit a little bit because it was kind of fast and furious. But thank you guys all for listening. I hope that you'll pass the podcast on to a friend. Uh, make sure that you pass each episode on in your story. Get some more people involved in the podcast. And we look forward to, again, having the opportunity to shoot with each of you out in the field at some point. So unless you guys have anything else, thanks for listening to another episode of Wild and Exposed. You've been listening to the Wild and Exposed podcast. If you haven't yet, please give us a rating and a review. And make sure you're subscribed so that you'll get every episode we produce as soon as we drop it. And as always, thanks for tuning in. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in time.